Hello, everybody, and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Jose. I'm Mike. And we've just come back from seeing Searching, which is another of those desktop films in which the narrative is told almost entirely through what you see on a desktop or what can be seen through computer a desktop, desktop. A computer desktop. Yeah, um, if, you, if you heard our podcast on Unfriended Dark Web from a few weeks ago, then you'll be familiar with the idea, and it's probably worth listening to that. Um, that was, this, it's certainly an interesting point of comparison to this. Um, that was a horror movie. This is a thriller. Yes. Um, and and this take this has this is not as uh, it's interesting in comparison with Unfriended. We'll get into the specifics, but this uh, has a more free approach to to its desktop aesthetic, whereas actually um, Unfriended was rather more rigid. Yes. Uh, but we'll come on to that. So this is a story told through uh, computer desktops, through Skype, through, through messages, through the internet. Through surveillance cameras and so on. But really kind of everything uh, uh, mediated through media itself, but actually most specifically through media that is then uh, available or enabled or diffused through a desktop computer, yeah, mm-hmm. through, uh, through or through a computer screen, yeah, uh, which I find very interesting. I also think it's worth commenting that both of those films were produced by Timur Bekmambetov, yeah, yeah, a, a Russo-Kazakh producer. Yes, yes, I really like his films. I mean, he had that whole thing with the bullet curving, yeah, that kind of he, oh, in uh, Wanted, no, yeah, I think it was Wanted. One Wanted, and also in Salt. I think there's a couple of films that he did where I thought that was amazing, the way that he shot those bullets. This is nothing like that. Did he direct those? Yeah, he did direct those. Okay. He, d- he just produces on And them. he just produced these. Uh, um, but I just think it's, like it's so interesting to have his name attached to mm. what I think are two low-budget but really intriguing and interesting exercises in narrative and, and kind of in visual storytelling. Yeah, kind of using... You know, all of the all all that a social media world makes possible to tell the stories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was reading that the um, the director of this, uh, Anish Chaganti, who is uh, Indian American, this is his first feature. He's made a, a few shorts. And he was working with Google for a long time. Mm. Um, he apparently pitched this as just like an eight minute short, and it was the producers who told him, "No, we reckon this can be." Mm. This can be a feature length, and I think it's probably on the basis of um, eight, eight would be quite cheap, uh, but also on the basis of them having done the first Unfriended mm. a few years ago, probably gave them the confidence to say, you know, we we think this this can be bigger. Was Unfriended a few years ago? We just saw it. No, no, the first Unfriended. Oh, the first Unfriended. Yes, yeah, with of course, Dark yeah. Web was the sequel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so um, I, I I had some problems with it at the start, but uh, there was an element of getting used to it and getting used to the slightly different style that this film uses. But it's, it really worked on me by Did the it? end. Yeah, it really, really worked on me. Huh. Once I got back, the, the opening, there's an opening where you get to know this family, this mm. uh, Korean American family. The father is played by John Cho. Um, and you get to know them through. Uh, it, it's almost like the beginning of Up, um, where you know the, the, you see a very happy family, and then they go through. Uh, the mother has lymphoma, uh, and then it goes into remission. Then it comes back, and eventually she 
passes away and then the film kind of comes because it starts off with uh, on Windows XP mm. <laughs> um, and you see, you see all these all these videos of like the, the, the daughter's piano recitals and um, and you see the calendar being used in like the first day of school first day of the next mm. whatever high school or whatever um, and it's and it's you know you see this kind of uh, life of a family in fast forward uh, until the mother dies and then you get to okay so the girl's 16 years old now and the mother has passed away several years ago now we're in 2017 and it's and she's on a Mac and um, th- that whole opening was the the first thing that I that I picked up on was that it was it was really editing what you were seeing in a way that Unfriended Darkwave didn't hmm. as I recall uh, Unfriended Darkwave took a very very rigid approach to we are showing you the entire screen in its entirety and, and not cutting away and not zooming in not doing anything like that so it's really up to the way we arrange things on the screen mm. as to where you're, you know, how we kind of draw your focus and it, it made it very realistic also the fact that in Unfriended um, the action was taking place in real time took place in that in that whole evening you see it in yes. real time and in this they're, ha- they're, they're telling a story well at the start they're telling a story over 10 years or so yes. and then obviously it, it's a few weeks that the the, the um, the main plot takes place over a few weeks. I love the beginning. And actually, I love that economy. I love the way that it was using, you know, social media to actually tell you a whole trajectory of a person's life almost in like five minutes, really. You know, and it created a world and a set of relationships, you know, all and, and a set of symbols almost kind of, you know, very economically kind of through cutting all of that very quickly. It was like, I thought that was to me dazzling, actually. Fair enough. I, I I felt like I'd sort of seen it before, and I I thought that um, the opening to this film was was like it was like a promo. Actually, you could sort of I mean, having since found out that the director has worked doing promos and things for Google for a little while, that makes some sense because there is a real slickness that makes it feel like like a TV advert almost, or like mm. you know, or the way that the way that things move around not so realistically. Um, you know, the, the way that um, uh, images are kind of much higher resolution than than they would naturally be because they have kind of movie production values behind them. There's just there's an element of slickness and high production value to it which made it feel just a little. Uh, I had to get used to it, um, and and in a way, it's rather like when I saw when I saw Concussion, the uh, the Will Smith film, mm. and it was only when I saw Concussion, which is a perfectly normal. Guy reveals a big secret type film and fights the fights the guys in power. That I that I realised what Spotlight did that mm. was so good because Spotlight I'm not going to go into it, but Spotlight basically was undercutting so much of what that kind of film normally does. But I didn't see it until I watched Concussion. Sure. And Concussion made me realise, oh, that's how it's normally done. Right. This is why Spotlight is different. And in this case, watching the opening of this made me realise just how good Unfriended Dark Web was. Wow. In 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 the Solidity of what it was doing and the and the believability of absolutely everything because this was taking movie-ish sort of shortcuts or not shortcuts but just stylistic okay. things. We feel differently about that because you know one of the things that I welcome in in this use of social media is actually using everything that we recognize uh, as part of the world that we live in as kind of storytelling elements you know there are bits of information and not just bits of information but actually you know whole human relationships and social relationships that are embodied Hmm. you know in in social media and the way that we use it right that you know are part of the world that we that we live in and therefore 
you know, should be as part of like a language, really. So it's right that it be used in in audiovisual storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what I often don't like, or I see it as a self-imposed kind of limitation, is you know when they turn it into a formal exercise only, mm. right? And actually, I thought that was a problem with this film as well. Okay. You know, so so I think what you didn't like about the film is what I really like that you know you have this world and the series of relationships and these people and you know and you get so much information on them. So economically, like at the beginning, I just thought that was to me, to me, narratively dazzling. Right? It was. It wasn't that I didn't like that. I think I really liked what it was trying to do. But it, but the, the fact that it felt like, um, you know, like I say, like something that I'd seen before, and like a very slickly produced TV advert, um, was a little bit disappointing to me. But then once I realised and once I learned that the film was. It, it's what it seemed to me was that it was exposing the limitations of this type of filmmaking, mm. and what I came to realize over the rest of the film is that actually, once you're into it, mm. it allows you to tell a different type of story. Like it, the fact is that Unfriended was able to use its its rigid format because it was telling such a rigid story. It was yes. happening all in real time over one night, exactly. and it was all happening on one computer, and. And in this, different devices are used. So, like, there's an old computer which uses Windows XP. There's a new computer which uses, which is a Mac. There's, I thought there, that there, was interesting. There, there's a smartphone. There's a few other things. So, it's not it, it's not as as rigid as Unfriended. And I realised that this film is using it really, really well. And it is it is making those sort of sacrifices, I suppose, for a greater good. Yeah. See what I mean? Yeah. Um, Let's tell the plot because otherwise we're going to end up losing people, really. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um. So, so the, the the plot is that um, John Cho is the father. Uh, he loses his wife. His daughter is getting old. His daughter's sixteen by this point. She um, goes out to a study group with her friends for AP Biology, I think, and um, she doesn't come back. Mm. Uh, the dad misses a couple of phone calls. Then, kind of starts to get worried that she's mm. not coming back. Starts to try and get in touch with her friends. Realizes that she doesn't. He doesn't really know her, mm. um, and and so he has to like. There's he has to try and like log into the old computer and find all this stuff. Basically, start digging. He becomes a kind of vigilante detective, trying to work out where where his daughter is and what's happened. And he starts learning that he doesn't really know his daughter very much at all, and she is declared missing. Um, and then he starts working with a detective who's played by Deborah Messing. Yes. Um, to uh, to find her, they they speak a lot over FaceTime, so mm. that's how you get to see them. <laughs> yes, I mean, um, I'd, say, I, I'd I, say spoilers from now on. Yeah, yeah, let's say spoilers from now on. I really love the film, but I actually, what I didn't like about it was that it was all mediated; that every element of it was through a desktop, through a screen, right? And that they cheated. So, for example, you know, so so the formal exercise in a way wasn't carried all the way through. So there was a lot of television coverage, right? That they weren't showing through television. They were actually showing it through a computer screen. Right? Yeah, well, through through streams on like yeah, news websites. Exactly. Yeah. Which I thought, you know, that felt a little bit phony to me. Uh, I yeah, I can certainly agree with you to an extent. There is an element of that this film. Ha did, did you see the film? Um, Chronicle. No. Um, the film Chronicle is, to me, was really disappointing. And it was another found... It, I mean, it was real found footage. Like, this is this is desktop. 
and that was found footage in that it was all done on video camera. Mm. But it had this thing, it was these kids learning superpowers and flying around and stuff. And um, there was there was a thing in that film of every every moment it was trying to make you aware of why the camera was there filming this mm. in a way that like unfriended hadn't didn't have that problem at all. Um, and this film had it a little bit mm. when you know you it was it was trying to justify why it was showing news footage or why it was showing a you know kind of Google Maps or something. Mm. It was it had moments where it was trying to justify too heavily why you were seeing what you were seeing. Yes. Um, and and for instance when when you're seeing news footage being shown through the through the website, um, it's not so much that that's unrealistic because that's how news websites work. But you kind of question who's watching this. Yes. Yeah. Who's who's like there are points where it's very obvious that that John Cho's character is using the computer for this, that, and the other. Um, but there are points where you're going, this is just being shown to me through a website because it fits the aesthetic, and actually no one's really behind this. Yes. So it does kind of cheat. I, I didn't like that, and I also didn't like because because it, it also cheats when um, Deborah Messing's in jail being questioned, yeah. you know, and then you think, well, where's this coming from, and where's the video monitor for this? Because that that didn't seem to come through any video monitor. It was like directly from the camera, right? It, it, it does pull back and show you that it is a QuickTime video that's being played on the Mac. Ah. The question then is, why the hell has he been sent this footage from the prison? That's silly. Yeah. So so and and I just think that that in both instances though you know I think it's lovely that there's this kind of experimentation with form and you know you always have to set restraints on kind of these formal experiments and so on right so I'm not questioning and actually I like the film very much and you know and I think um it's it's kind of formally thrilling to see what kind of people are doing but I also think that filmmakers are missing an opportunity Right, because you know you get so stuck in this formal exercise mm. that actually you you miss a dimension of character and people and situation. I mean, why not cut onto the you know the film's diegetic real world? You know, why is everything kind of mediated through screen? Unless kind of you're making a systematic kind of thought through point about it, which I don't mm. think this film is particularly. I mean, it is to a point, yeah, but there's no there's no need. So, for example. You know, the scene where um, uh, the father is questioning the brother, mm. you know, I think that scene would have been so much more dy- dynamic and interesting if it had cut, you know, from the real diegetic world onto the mediated footage, back right? Again, yeah. Back again, right? And actually, you show people looking at the screens, right? You know, yeah. Uh, yeah? I mean, it's just, it seems that, you know, to be too rigid about, about you know, the... Sticking to that formal thing also l- loses out on potentials of of point of view, of textures, on narrative, you know, situations mm. between what is and what's seen. Right? There's all kinds of elements that could be at play that aren't. I think it's it certainly doesn't serve this film um, as well as it serves Unfriended. And I think you're right that it would be a very different film yes. um, if they were, you know. Uh, also filming a quote unquote like a real movie, you know. But um, I can certainly imagine a version of that which would be more interesting than this, or or, or better realised. Yes. Um, as you say, there there are issues with with it having to fudge the edges to to just get, like like for instance when you're shown that footage of Deborah Messing being questioned uh, in prison, and that's basically when she explains everything that happened. Mm. Um, the reason that you're being shown that is because that is just the, the easiest and clearest and best way to explain 
yes. all the details of, of what's happened. Um, but you're right that like in, in order to to have that exposition, it does make the sacrifice of believability yeah. at that point. But also, it means that the film has to tell and not show. Yeah. Yeah, which is, I think, another problem, right? Like, you're told a lot of narrative because actually the restrictions of the form means that you can't show it in a kind of a dynamic and interesting way. Yeah, kind of. But it's also, but it is the case that most of the narrative really is about John Cho uh, on the on the hunt. Sure. And and he does and he conducts that search through the internet. Yes. And and through through searching on the computers for like old old passwords and old lists of friends. No, and that I think all that's great. So so like that that is clearly where. Um, like the, the 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 detective search is built around the use of the computer. Sure. Um, and even like even when he goes to, he only really does one thing in sort of quote unquote the field, which is when he goes to the lake, having figured out that that's where his daughter went. Yeah. And even then, you know, he's he's on FaceTime with the detective saying, "Why the hell aren't you here?" No, but- so it, so it, it's done. It all it all it all is done through the computer, and it is built into the, to the to the plot. That, I would argue that. You know, and this is a very good film, so don't get me wrong. Yeah, but, you know, just within the context that it is a very good film, I think certain things would have been better without their being mediated through computer screens. For example, there are scenes where it seems completely artificial. You know, the scene where um, uh, the father goes to the lake to see, you know, whether his daughter is in the car that they now know is in the lake, right? Mm-hmm. Why does that have to be mediated through television? Yeah, I mean, no, sure. I mean, there's no computer search on at the moment for that scene. Likewise, the scene where they actually find her in the ravine. You know, why does that have to be mediated through a kind of I, a news report? It doesn't add anything. I agree, and that's where that's where the the the, the idea of taking the film into the film's real world yes. and out of the computer screen would be beneficial. Yes, um, but I certainly think that. That for the for the majority, certainly majority of the search, um, it taking place as a desktop film makes perfect sense. Sure, I didn't sure. question no, that. I, for, I agree. I agree. Uh, it, it's true that once once they start introducing so much uh, kind of news footage, um, it 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 does feel like it, it. They're doing it because they have they've said from the start this is the film we're making and we can't budge from that but actually I mean imagine if the film like for the first 45 minutes was all the desktop film and then it came to the real world you'd have to take a minute to adjust because that wasn't what you were expecting but, that might but, be it, but it might be better and yeah. It might be, yeah exactly and actually you know it's because during the screening quite a lot of people walked out I noticed about five okay yeah um, and I and actually I do think that if you're not computer literate mm. Yeah, which I imagine still quite a large percentage of a cinema-going audience would be. The film can look very dull. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is that is a risk that you take with this kind of film. I think. I mean, it, sure. it, it would be probably even more so the case with Unfriended, which is not only a desktop film, but it's also about a group of people who, if you're if you're the kind of person who doesn't really know much about computers, you probably have nothing to connect with those kids over oh, yeah. yeah whereas this at least is about a father-daughter relationship and the search and it's it's a much more relatable kind of story i think yes so let's let's talk a little bit about the terminology because we're trying to find the language through which to talk about these films and you deployed several terms so um you know on the one hand kind of there's like found footage films you know and we've been calling them desktop films mm. and then i think critically there's another term that's being bandied about which is uh, i don't know about critically but um the um 
the one of the production companies behind this, Bazilev's company, which is a company that um, Timur uh, Bekmambetov founded, mm-hmm. um, on their Wikipedia page, this genre is referred to as screen life. Screen life. Okay, screen life. That's the only place that I've seen that term. So I don't yeah. know if it's like if it's like an in-house term or term they're trying to popularize. But that's 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 a kind of. That's an interesting one because it expands the idea of it being a desktop film yes. to include other forms of screens. Yeah, like you do. So this isn't strictly on the desktop. You also see at one point, um, well, you see at a few points, smartphone footage sure. where it does the classic thing of having huge black borders off to the left and right sides because it's in portrait mode. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. the whole cinema screen is just portrait mode at that yes. point. Um, so because as I say, that's where this film takes. Uh, kind of liberties where, where the unfriended didn't. Yes. So what's the term again? Screen. Screen life. Screen life. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's an interesting term because I think it, I think the film would be uh, more interesting if they expanded that sense of screen life. But then it also makes sense. Then you know, like for example, the interrogation scene. You know, it makes sense if they think of it as screen life. Rather than desktop or yeah or mm. co- computer screen, yeah. Um, so so I think those are interesting. Anyway, you know I I'm I'm very intrigued by um, uh, these these exercises, uh, and I must say that I found the film. On the one hand, you know I was very taken by the mystery of it. So the film is really a film about a man doing online research through which to find his daughter who's disappeared mm. it really is all about research in a way right mm. and kind of and re- but research in a way that's relatable so you know a lot of the things about you know um, he goes into his daughter's uh, laptop and then you know obviously she's, she's got all these passwords and then uh, you know how to how to get through the passwords yeah there's a, there's a daisy chain of he has to he tries to get into a Facebook and, and he goes reset password because he doesn't know it and mm. so then he goes okay we sent a resetted password to Google uh, yes. Gmail so he goes to Gmail and then he can't get into Gmail so then he has to send a password back to Yahoo yeah. which he's able to get into so like it makes a joke out of this daisy chain of always forgetting your password or in this case trying to get into someone else's email yes um, but again like it, as you say it's totally relatable like, yes everyone's, everyone's I mean, been you know, there it happens to me about my passwords much much less anybody else yeah. <laughs> right so 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 that was interesting and also the amount of information that you can get and people using false identities, right? So it kind of it touches on thematic strands that are very live and very current yeah, and with us in the news. Yeah, well, I wanted to pick up on this. I mean, there, um, there's uh, her, her school, you see right at the start, it says uh, such and such high school, home of the catfish. And catfish is a term which uh, it comes from the film Catfish and has entered... Um, uh, Popular, whatever, popular usage as a term for um, spoilers, if you haven't seen Catfish, by the way, <laughs> but this is why the term is popular. It's a term for pretending to be someone else online. Right. And, and I noticed that right at the start and I thought, well, this is going to come into the film. And then I'd forgotten about it when it turns out that someone has been pretending to be someone online. I'm like, fuck, I knew it. <laughs> you <laughs> I forgot. pick up on that it's, at all. It, it is right there. Um, uh, there's a. Th- because I think yeah, it's we've been talking about what is flawed about the film's approach um, to to its style, um, but there are some really positive things about it as well. And one of those things, as you say, the relatability of the way in which we use um, uh, computers and the internet is one thing. Also, the culture clash of of an older person not understanding their kid. Yes. 
um, because John Cho, he looks at his daughter's uh, most visited websites. There's a list of them in, in Google Chrome. And one of them is this you share it website, something like that. You you stream, you cast, you cast it's called. Yeah. Um, and he goes to it and it's alien to him. It's like a YouTube type thing, but it's just kids live streaming themselves in their rooms or on the street or whatever mm. and getting you know a, like a bunch of other people just sitting there typing to them saying what's your favorite pokemon mm. whatever or i like your hair and it's just and it's weird to him and he doesn't understand it and he clicks he, he, he starts live streaming and he's just like what well, i don't understand this yes and clicks away and it's only when he clicks away that he realizes that this thing comes up saying do you want to save this cast? Do you want to see all your other saved casts? Mm. He looks at them and then he finds this whole repository of casts that his daughter's been doing um, that he knew nothing about and, and she's been putting her life online uh, and kind of expressing herself to to these strangers. Um, and and so there's this... There's this it, it's partly this thing of he didn't know his daughter. She didn't seem to have any friends. Um but she's been able to connect with all these people online, mm. one person in particular. So it, it, it does this, it does that, that thing of not knowing your daughter, combines it with the idea of not knowing how to use what your daughter is using, mm. you know? And it's always, it's, it, it, particularly with, with technology, it's happened more and more, more over the last few decades, I guess. Mm. P- parents being really behind and not being able to understand, you know, what their, what their kids are doing. Um, I, it that just, it felt really real to me, and it and it spoke to sort of, it, it, it again it made it more than a gimmick, it made it more than a gimmick because it 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 expressed how all these things are tied together, these these kind of relationships and the way that barriers spring up and the idea that if you're not paying attention you get completely left behind and probably even if you are paying attention you still will anyway because you're just too old to get it. Yes, I mean for me. Um... The thing is that it represented, so it represented Tumblr, and uh, Facebook, and UCast, and Instagram, in ways that are actually recognizably, yeah. So so there was this moment where he's looking through Instagram, and he realizes how lonely his daughter was. Yes. Yeah. In a way that felt like really recognizable to me. So all of the pictures that she was posting were all like raindrops, landscapes, right? Yeah. Her feet, like there were never any other people in, 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 yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so it made me realize that kind of, it's not just that these social media kind of are used for different things, but that they also signify, we've learned to read them in very particular ways. So actually just reading, you know, and, and, and the father understood that, right? So just looking at the photographs that she had posted, already told you about, you know, that person's state of mind in a way that was instantly legible. Yeah. Yeah. Because cause there's this aspect of he thinks that she's got loads and loads of friends. Yes. And then when he goes, when he speaks to them um, and says, where is she? What do you know about her? It turns out that none of them really know her at all. Yes. And he, that's his first kind of clue, really, that he doesn't know his daughter. Yeah. That was, and so there's that wonderful moment as well, which is like a critique of people's behavior on social media which is, you know, where he questions one of the girls and uh, she says, oh, I, I barely knew her. I just, you know, I just want to get into Berkeley. So basically, you know, this yeah. girl's using his daughter to, to be good at math, kind of, 
you know, typical kind of Asian cliche. Um, but anyway, then, then the girl is kidnapped and it was like, you know, everybody who barely knew her before, oh, she's my best friend, I'm going to die, I can't bear it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, all of those kinds of things that we're all, we're all so used yeah. Uh, to yeah, the, 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 the changing responses on Facebook that are an absolute cliche that we've seen them a million times in real life. The film satirizes that or dramatizes that. I mean, it's partly satire, but it's partly, it's partly just dramatizing it. Yeah, and I it's partly it, just observational comedy. Yeah, yeah. You know, it does it really well. I yeah, think. it's got a good yeah. sense of that. Um, um, it occurred to me from from the moment the film started that it was interesting that it was about a Korean American family. Ah, um, and, and and just just on the basis of how many how many times do you see? Korean or, or East Asian American families come in like, you know, the Amer- the Americans use the word Asian to mean sort yeah. of Oriental, whereas whereas in in the UK we use the word Asian to mean Indian. Yeah. Actually, this film kind of incorporates both because the director is Indian, writer director is Indian, and the and the family represented is Korean. Um, but I suppose it, it occurs to me partly because John Cho um, is such a recognisable face, but he's always playing second fiddle to someone. Yes, you know, when has he ever really been? He he was in the, he was the lead in Harold and Kumar. Those films, who shared the lead yes. with um, with an Indian actor, um, what's his name, uh, Cal Penn, um, which you know I didn't like those films that much, but it's notable for that for that reason, I suppose, that it's a, a, um, an Indian and a, a Korean actor sharing the limelight. Yes, um, I mean it's very. We were talking earlier about it. It is very remarkable that this seems to be the first Hollywood film we can think of. With, um, you know, well, what Americans call an Asian lead, I, you know, somebody of, you know, uh, Thai or Japanese or Chinese or Korean. It's certainly one of them. There is also this film, Crazy Rich Asians. Well, that's not come out here. It's just coming out, so that's another one. But yeah, but it's certainly true to say it's very rare. It's very rare, and I, well, what I was going to say is, you know, we were talking about how it's the first one that comes to mind, and then of course, you think of you know, the Charlie Chan films or whatever, but actually, you know, that was people, you know, that was like uh, mm. Peter Lorre and, you know, pe- yeah, so white stars putting on the the, uh, the mm. tape around their eyelids and pretending to be Chinese or Japanese. Um, so there were lots of people like that. And then, of course, the, the there were in the silent period actual um, superstars, really, like Sesu Hayakawa, was an international kind of star, uh, you know, who starred in his own films. And Anime Wong, of course, is like really famously the star of Piccadilly mm. and films like that. So, you know, there was a period in kind of in, 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 in silent cinema in the 20s where you did have, you know, these Chinese or Japanese kind of superstar actors from Hollywood, yeah, working in Hollywood. But since then, I can't think of one. Well, uh, probably the biggest example would be Jackie Chan, who is huge. Of course. But uh, true. The, the mitigating factor with Jackie Chan is that his English is really no good. He always has to be paired up with, yeah. uh, with, with an American actor, basically. Yeah. So let's be more precise. This is the first film we can think of where, you know, someone playing the lead as an American... Yeah, so he's just kind of an ordinary American mm. is actually played by someone of Korean origin. 
It's just the first one we can think of. I mean, there's, there are probably a lot more, but, you know, because it's the first one we can think of, it's very significant, I think. Mm. And I think it's definitely the case that um, uh, when, when actors of um, Asian origin, either Asian, <laughs> yeah. uh, get roles, they are always backup characters. Yes. Um, and, and like I say, that's, that's how John Cho's kind of made his name. He made his name really, he was first recognisable as the guy who said MILF yes. in American Pie. And that's the reason that we have the word MILF these days is thanks to John Cho. I still don't know what it means. What does it MILF. mean? MILF. It means yes. mother I'd like to fuck. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> thanks for making me say it. <laughs> I, I had known it at some point, but I forgot. Yeah, that. well, uh, he, he was, because Stifler's mom was a MILF. Yes. Um, and, uh, and and so he said that 20 years ago and and it exploded. Oh um, and then I suppose more recently what you'd recognise him from is Star Trek where he plays Sulu. Yes. Um, who is a backup character in yes. Star Trek, let's be honest. Yes. Um, he doesn't ever really do anything important in the new Star Treks. Yes. As I recall. Yes. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's... it's um... And he's been a character actor on TV and things like that. I, um, I find it noteworthy. Yeah, it Right, is. because... You know, it is also a bit of blind casting in the sense that, you know, um, it could this these are roles that could easily have been cast in, you know, a wasp family, right? Like, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. So, this is why it occurred to me. Like, there's, it's not, there's nothing made of the fact that they're Korean. Yeah, it's they are just American. Yeah, and um, and as you say, they they could be white, they could be black, they could be of any, you know, sort of any race or ethnic background. They just happen to be a Korean American family, yes, and they're not treated in any particular way because of that. Yeah, um, I think that's. I mean, they're not recent immigrants. They're not. Yeah, like yeah. it's kind of it's just. And and I thought I, th- I thought that was kind of worth underlining. It's noteworthy. Yeah, it is. Uh, I'd like to see more of it, really. Yeah, and uh, I, it's also worth saying that John Cho is just fucking brilliant in this. Yes, I think he's really really good. He he nails every every aspect of. Of the his kind of desperation, and his desperation in search for his daughter, and then his 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 confusion and sort of anger and resignation that he doesn't he, he doesn't know her as well as he thought he did. Yes. Um. It. It's actually it's a really nuanced performance. I mean, it's. Um, luckily, we get to see lots of it because the, the you know FaceTime is always on. So. Yes. I mean, I thought it was. You know, and it, it's also a very, um, I mean, I suppose if it were a woman, you'd say courageous in the sense that, you know, uh, phone cameras can be very cruel, right? <laughs> you know, and you see his age and so on, but it all works for the character and he's brilliant. And I think he makes Deborah Messing look bad. Yeah. yeah. She's not up to you know, the complexities and the nuances and, you know, she's not up to his performance. No, that's probably true. Um, Yeah. She, she, I I think she has less to express and I think she is decent. Um, I particularly like the press conferences that she, that she gave. I thought they, they, well, to me, she's a lesson that, you know, uh, being filmed harshly and wearing no makeup does not add up to a good performance. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, she does all of that, and, you know, she she allows herself to be seen just coming out of bed, and, 
you know, and she's very harshly lit. You can see all her pimples on the side of her face and so on. But actually, she's still not giving a very nuanced performance. I mean, she's giving kind of almost like a TV movie performance in the film, really. It's just, it's completely one-dimensional throughout. Mm. Um, so it works on a certain level, you know, but he doesn't, she doesn't bring the complexities that he does, really. No, I suppose not. But, um, but he, he is really good. And, 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 that's, and I think the film, you know, once I got into, once I, once I got used to the way it was zooming in on parts of the screen and cutting back and forth and moving around, um, you know, which initially I didn't like, once I get used to that, I felt it really worked. Like it's, it's how the film is, is directing your attention and making things important and, um, and that sort of thing. Um, and it's also the way it allows it to to cut across time periods because it has to tell the story over a few weeks. Yes. Um, so, you know, it, it, it would probably be weird doing that if they were being kind of really rigid in one sense, in that yes. visual sense. Um, once I got used to that, I, I thought it was really good and it really, really worked on me. And there were points where I, I was getting genuinely worried, you know, like when, when the kind of search starts for the daughter and the press conferences are happening I was getting really really worried thinking are they going to find her what's going to happen like, yes. and and um, and when it's it's suggested that she's dead you think that she's dead at one point um, I thought and I can't believe this actually like it, it would make sense in, in Unfriended because yeah. that film is dark and dingy and horror and this film is not that uh, th- this film it would be so cruel in this film to to kill the girl yes. and I felt like e- even though I'm the kind of person who really wants stupid shit to happen in movies mm. I felt like no I don't want that to happen in this because mm. it doesn't it doesn't fit the film and actually I want the families to be reunited and that sort of thing I didn't want that kind of cruelty but the fact that the film was making me believe that it could have happened mm. I felt horrible man it worked on me it did it worked on me as well and I was moved at the end um, before we wrap up kind of what what do you take to be the the film's main themes? You know, so so for me, you know, the first thing obviously is an intergenerational thing. Mm. It's you know how little parents really know about their children, yeah, and why that might be a concern, right? Both, you know, on an interpersonal level and on a social level, mm. right? That's kind of one of the things the film works through. I think kind of very well. Um, uh, the other is obviously the mediated world we live in, right? Um, and, you know, how so much of um, our personal life and our friendships and, you know, courtships and so on are kind of done through um, social media that has its own particular codes and languages and uh, where, you know, it has to be read because everything is not as it seems. So I think. You know that's kind of one of the one of the one of the things that the film kind of arguably makes even much more than I'm making of it because you know every every image that we are shown is mediated every yeah I mean you know we always see through kind of uh, um, the screen a screen in a way that normally, you know, a normal movie tries to hide the existence of the camera or, mm. yeah, kind of it tries to, to say this is the real world of this story at least, right? Whereas this one is telling you, you know, this is not the real world of this story. This is the world as mediated through 
mm. screens, right? Yeah. So, which is a very different thing. Yeah. Um, I think that I think. It, if you imagine what the film could have been if it was trying to do something different, I think what the film is not doing is trying to use that as a kind of warning. What you'll very often see, I think, and what you might expect is for a film to be saying like, you know, oh, it's it's dangerous to be putting this much of yourself online um, uh, and using it as a warning. But actually in this film, I mean, the fact that the girl has put herself online in, in this way, put her life online, and, and um, in, in one way leads to what happens to her and her disappearance... Um, but also, it's like it's it's the way in which she can express herself, and that is recognised by the film, and it's what saves her because that's where all this information comes from yeah. that 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 leads them to her, um, and and what well, not only leads them to her, but also leads to the arrest of Deborah Messing's character, because John Cho figures out that that she is in a way behind this. Yes. Um, so that it's a it's a very positive thing and actually what it is really is just observational like it has that observation of of the intergenerational conflict of not understanding what what kids are up to these days you know John Cho's character has a certain level of knowledge about how to use the internet and what goes on in it but when it comes to Ucast he's lost mm. and he's just learning something for for the first time and that sort of thing um and and as i say it relates that really nicely to the idea of of not understanding your kids. Hmm. Uh, I think that the loss of the mother is a trope the film could have done without. This, this, you may have heard the, the phrase uh, woman in the fridge, which is, a, I, th- I think it comes from comics. I think it's from Barbara Gordon, right. the character Barbara Gordon from Batman. Yeah. She, she's, she winds up in a fridge one day and that becomes, because didn't Batman love her or something? And so Batman's uh, motivation becomes, I'm going to get you because of, what you did to Barbara, right. and and this trope of a woman dying, particularly early on in a film uh, or story of any kind, then becoming a different character's motivation, normally a man's, mm. is is this trope that it's not it's not to say that it's um, uh, you know illegitimate to use it at all. Like it's a perfectly fine motivation, but it's a crutch. People use it a lot more than they should, and this film uses it, and not even really for that purpose so much. It's it, it the the. The drama that it tries to generate around the loss of the mother and the fact that the girl was much better friends with the mother than the father and there's this and they, there's this distance between them, I think the film doesn't make enough of and it means that the use of the trope comes across as slightly icky because it didn't seem necessary to me. I, I, I didn't feel that. I don't, I don't agree. Um, I mean, I thought, you know, kind of... Well, first of all, kind of women dying early of cancer is, you know, something that's in the media a lot if they go undiagnosed, right? Um, so, so it kind of it has a certain logic. Then actually him suffering through um, widowhood or w- widowerhood, you know, and thus kind of, you know, um, not quite knowing how to interact or not quite knowing how to do and, you know, being involved in his own grief, you know, um, trying to do his best for the daughter, but like, yeah, kind of, you know, so I, they're both dealing with a certain kind of loss that they can't communicate to each other. Mm. I think that's a wonderful basis for the film and kind of, you know, yeah, gives it a certain okay, resonance. Um, so kind of, um, yeah, I kind of... No, I, that's, that's, that's fair enough, I suppose. I mean, the, it, it wouldn't work the same way without it, I suppose. Yes. Uh, um, you know, it would be true. a different movie. It would be a different movie. Yeah. And, and, so. and it's true that that, that sense of 
loss and the, the the sense of lack of connection between them the fact that actually if they just talked about it mm. they'd be much healthier yes. and this would never have happened or something that that's true that is there um i guess uh, it's just the, the start the start of the film um maybe, yeah i'm nitpicking i suppose it it just it did it did have a slightly icky feel the, the fact that the fact that um the mother gets cancer and dies. I'm not saying there's like, like no logic to it. It's whenever whenever this trope is used, it's always perfectly sensible. It's just that it's used so often that it's clearly a crutch sometimes. Yes, um, but, you know the. And, but, you but know, I, I appreciate see... that actually it has a, it, it, there is purpose to it here beyond what I was seeing. Yes, and it's not a woman in the fridge situation, in a way because you know I presume that a woman in a fridge situation is you know, the motivation for action, as you say, but then the woman can come out of the fridge, right? Like, you know... No, 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 I mean, it's she's dead in the fridge. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, no, the, no it's... Yeah. It, she's, Barbara Gordon is totally dead. Yeah, well, dead. I think this is much more than that. Really. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is uh, better than that. Uh, that's, that's true. So, anyway... But having said that, now that I've mentioned it, you will start seeing it everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, let's wrap up. I mean, I think this is a really interesting exercise in narrative. I actually kind of, you know, found that it offered so much to think about. Um, and it was very interesting and at the end I found it moving as well yeah so I'd highly recommend it yeah so would I moving is the word once I got used to that to that difference between it and Unfriended and the fact that like like I say it made me realise what Unfriended was doing that was so good mm. but but the differences that this film had formerly um, really worked in its favour for the most part but it is interesting to imagine what the film could have been had they gone that one step further and taken it into the real world Yes. A little bit. Yeah. I think that's the next step for this kind of movie. Like, yeah, so like the, the, the formal rigidity of keeping it on the desktop all the time. Well, it's almost is, like um, yeah, you're not to its advantage. Yes. Why limit yourself when you know when you have all these other tools that can make a, a you know a film richer that could give it another dimension? Hmm. I think you know that's the problem with some of these formal exercises that you know kind of it uh, they often don't um, they're often just that exercises right. Um, whereas kind of, you know, films can do so much more. Now, you know, that said, I think this is a really interesting film and very much worth seeing. Yes. So, uh, we are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on iTunes, SoundCloud, Facebook, YouTube, and WordPress. Twitter. And Twitter. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> There's always one. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. Yeah. Um, do drop us a line if uh, there's something that intrigued you uh, uh, or that you disagree with uh, and that uh, you know, you'd like us to elaborate on. Hmm. Goodbye. Ciao. <laughs> All right. Let's go. <laughs>